Good morning. Today is Wednesday, October 12th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for listening and gathering around God's Word with us today. Whether you're over the air, online, or on a podcast, I'm so glad you're here. Settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. As I mentioned at the top of every show, Thy Strong Word is underwritten by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. I actually don't have to mention it. I choose to because they do such great work for the kingdom. See how they can help you in your outreach and how you can support them by visiting lhfmissions.org. I also invite you to email me at pastorboo at gmail.com with your comments or questions. And every Friday, I begin the show by sharing some of your comments or answering the questions you send. So tune in for that. If you want to send a question for me or my guest for that day, it's okay to try to stump us. Go ahead. Send that question to pastorboo at gmail.com. Well, this morning, we are on our third of three sessions looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. On deck for today is verses 35 through 58. And this chapter has been all about the resurrection. St. Paul first wrote of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and then he transitioned into the resurrection of all those who have died in the faith. Today, we read Paul's inspired teaching on the resurrected body and just what the resurrection means for sin and death. This is also our penultimate episode for this book. We'll wrap it up tomorrow and start a new topic on Friday. I'll give you a hint. That's going to be the book of Daniel. So if you've been following with us so far, let's finish strong. And to help us revel in the glory that is the resurrection promise and learn more about our forever home, I have with me returning guest, the Reverend Jason Shockman pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Pastor Shogman, good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I think I might have butchered the name of your town, Oconomowoc. <laughs> it is Oconomowoc, yeah. Uh, right. I was wondering if you, Pastor Vu, had said it wrong on purpose, because, uh, I, you know, like you do for people that live in Illinois. Oh, no. <laughs> no, but I did, and I do admit this, I did go on YouTube to look up how to pronounce it. Glad to be with you, brother. I think that we have a lot to talk about today, so let's just begin, and I'm going to invite you, if you would please, start off our time together in prayer. Absolutely. Heavenly Father, by your grace, you have created us and redeemed us through your Son and given us the promise of resurrection and life in your presence forevermore. As we open your word and study these promises that you have made, uh, Lord, help us to trust what you have revealed. Even if we can't answer all of our questions, uh, help us to know by your promise, the resurrection is for us who are in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, at the beginning of this week, we started this chapter, and you know the resurrection, as I mentioned just a couple of episodes ago, is – I don't want to say it's a, a, a lost tenet of our faith because we confess it every single Sunday uh, if you indeed confess either the Apostles or the Nicene Creed every Sunday. But 
I don't know that it's really a part of our understanding, or at least the general population's understanding of Christian belief, that it's not just about dying and going to heaven and hanging out in the clouds, playing harps all the time. It is a, a real uh, heaven and earth, a new heaven and a new earth. Our bodies, the bodies we have now will be resurrected. There's so much to this teaching that finds, uh, that finds I don't know, gives, I should say, great comfort to me and to those who face the end or have loved ones who face the end. So brother, you know, he, he goes into resurrection at, with some detail. We're just here in the last third of it, but surely, uh, surely we can catch up now. And if anybody has missed the other two episodes on this topic, uh, we can, we can catch them up. Uh, where has Paul been on, on this? And, you know, then we'll get into where he's going. Sure. So rewind, right? Uh, and I think a good place to rewind too is fifteen twelve. Maybe we could go a little further back than that. So fifteen, fifteen three, right? Fifteen three. Paul is saying, "Look, this is the gospel I preached. Christ died, he was buried. That's verse four, and he was raised." on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So what Paul is laying out for us in 1 Corinthians 15 is what all of the scriptures have promised the Messiah would be and do all the way along, right? Uh, in verse 12, he says, uh, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So apparently in Corinth, uh, and, and we've learned this, you know, as we've studied First Corinthians together, there was a group of people in Corinth who believed that they, here and now in the place that they lived, had received the fullness of the promises of Christ right there. That, that, that this was as good as it was going to get. They had everything that God had promised. It was all theirs right now. Which kind of totally misses the whole promise of Jesus to raise them on the last day. And so Paul is, is really kind of laying, laying out a very uh, methodical theological argument that they're missing the point. They're, they're missing the joy of the promise. Uh, the resurrection is, is connected inseparably to the, the future of the Christians, right? And there are two sides to this resurrection. There's the the baptized Christians who by faith are a part of the body of Christ and become members of his own body. And they are promised the resurrection of the body. And there are those who won't. Right? So, it's surprising to me. And it looked like it was surprising to Paul too, that you could hold both of these ideas um, and not understand that they are contradictory. That is, they clearly believed that Jesus died and rose again, and then they went on to say that there's no resurrection. Uh, right. and, and that doesn't make any sense at all. Especially because if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then your faith in, in the forgiveness he earned in his death and resurrection is meaningless. Right. Yep. Right. Which Paul gets to. Right. right. Then our preaching is in vain. Your yeah. faith is in vain. Um, we're found to be misrepresenting God. Yeah. All of those things. Resurrection is just the, 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 the linchpin, the epitome of what we can look forward to. It is how God has designed us and how he will 
recreate us. Maybe that's not the right word, but restore us. That's a better word. He'll yeah. restore us in the bodies we have now, but but restored, glorified. Our souls will be reunited with these bodies. And so there's so many misunderstandings even in today. Oh, the goal of the Christian faith is to die and go to heaven. And that is just, at best, an incomplete idea. Yeah. And it's a shame that we've fallen back as a Christian society, uh, and I mean a society of those who are Christians, that we've fallen back into this idea that, that yeah, it's just about going to heaven. Yeah, the and so separation if you lose of body the resurrection, right. the yeah, separation, you lose other things. Yeah, the go separation ahead, of body and soul is what we're meant for, right? No. Right, as if the body's bad and the soul's good. <laughs> right, and this is just Greek thinking. Um, it, it, the, the way I talk about this sometimes is this way. You know, as, as Lutherans, we teach so clearly that justification is the article of faith on which the church stands or falls. We either get justification right and we've got the whole thing, or we miss justification and we're left outside the kingdom. If that's true, not if, because that's true, mm -hmm, right? Right. Because that's true. The resurrection of the body is like one a, right? If justification by faith through the death and resurrection of Christ is article one of whether the church stands or falls, then the resurrection of the body is like one a, because this, this is the whole whole thing. Either Christ is the first fruits from the dead. Death no longer has dominion over him. And because of that, we have the forgiveness of sins or he's not. And if we are baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ, then his resurrection is our resurrection. And we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Paul, Paul makes this grammar switch in the middle of this, which is really fun to sit back and watch how he does it. Um, and I'll point that out when we get there. Uh, brother, we're going to run out of time if we digress anymore. We should get to the text. I think you're right. I appreciate the push. You know, I will note, and as I've had a couple times before, you know, Paul and his writings are very difficult for us to divide up into digestible sections. Uh, remember, as I said earlier, uh, listeners, that the Bible's uh, paragraphs even, but I was going to say more, the chapters and and the divisions that we have, the headings all come from editors. Uh, they, the, the versification of the Bible didn't come around till the 1500s. So, you know, someone had to sit down and say, well, where can I break up Paul's thought? And unfortunately for us, we're sort of starting in the middle of his thought. We talked about it yesterday. We're continuing to talk about it today with a whole new guest, but uh, it doesn't matter because our confessions are the same and we're going to be able to bring some good stuff out of this. So when I begin with verse 35, it'll sound like I'm sort of in the middle of Paul's thought, and that's because I am. So I'm going to read verses 35. I'm going to go, go ahead and go through 49, leave the last bit for later. So Paul writes, and this is from the English Standard Version. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. 
There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, then there is a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's quite a big bite, probably hard for us to just chew up and swallow right away. So we're going to take it chunk by chunk. But we have here, yeah, him turning to the body. Specifically, his argument now turns to people asking, well, what kind of body will we have? Pastor, I've been asked that question so often. You know, in the resurrection, how old will I be? What will I look like? Will I have all my ailments? Will I have... Uh, you know, will I be young? Will I be like the perfect body or I'm going to be, you know, heavy set and balding? You know, it's it's amazing. People think about those things. It's a human way of thinking. And it seems like the Corinthians had those same questions. Yeah. The, the best answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I say that, like. but they don't like that. Yeah, I know. I realize. Yeah, but that's the best answer. So this argument that Paul lays out is, is almost like saying, um, he, he's almost like saying to them, um, uh, why don't you get this? Look around, look at creation. See how all of creation reveals this to you. You should see, you should know, uh, you know, if, if you're not understanding this, um, you'll find the answer in your own garden, right? You, you know, from everyday experience in gardening, what you observe in God's creation that reveals the resurrection. You plant a seed, it dies, and it rises. The seed has to die first, and then it is made alive. And I, I want to touch on that made alive for a minute, in a minute. Yeah, let's do it. Not, not just in yet, a in a minute, okay. right? Because um, Jesus says the same thing, by the way. Uh, Paul, Paul's, whether inspired by the Holy Spirit or drawing on his own knowledge of uh, his, you know, three-year-long conversation with Jesus, um, Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So, so Paul is really, you know, jumping on what Jesus said here. Uh, and, and, and the, the progression of where he goes makes it very clear that resurrection, this resurrection of the body is right in line with God's creating in the first place. Uh, you, you know, you read this, right? He starts with the humans and then he goes backwards through creation. You know, man, then land animals, then birds, then fish. In creation, it went the other way. 
Yeah, I don't know that I've ever noticed that. I'm just sort of pondering what you said. Yeah, that is true. Absolutely. So, so resurrection is beginning from us, beginning from humans, and all of creation being restored. Right. Right? Which is something that Paul said elsewhere in Romans, right? That all of creation groans as in birth pains, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Right? He, he's, he, it's, not like, it's not like Paul is teaching brand new things. He kind of teaches the same things all the time. Kind of like we Lutheran pastors, we're always teaching you the six chief parts of the catechism, whether you recognize we're doing that or not. Right? Uh, and here, just as Paul echoes creation in, in the language of speaking about the resurrection, so he is describing it in such a way that the resurrection depends on God's gifting in the first place. It is of his own will that he gives, that he gives to each its body, that he gives to each its form, regardless of the kind of glory that form has, whether it's a, a earthly body or a heavenly body like the sun and the moon and the stars. Uh, and even they are varied and different. So Paul goes through this whole list of all these things that God has created in order to say, look, if the God of all creation can build all of this, what are you thinking he can't do in raising from the dead that which has been dead? And part of what we got to get in mind here is, again, that Greek thinking that the body is, is transitory, that it's, it's temporal and it's meaningless. Because what, what many in Corinth were after was the release of the spiritual from the physical. And, and if that's the case, right, if, if that's where they're at, then, boy, how could you ever even begin to say that a dead body buried in the ground, decaying into dust, could ever be made alive or would ever want to be made alive. Why would God even want to do that? Right? That, that was simply unfathomable for them. So maybe it's helpful that in some ways we still think like Greeks, you know, with that idea that our faith is fulfilled when we die and go be with Jesus. Um, no, First Corinthians deals with this quite clearly in chapter 15. And, and thanks be to God that we have it. Um, because as Paul describes the, the, the creation order in reverse, right, beginning with humans, ending with fish, uh, he's actually pointing us uh, to the fact that all of the heavens, all of creation declares the glory of God. And, and even we, here in time, as we've been brought by faith into this body of Christ, uh, we, which he says to the church in, in Philippi, we shine like stars in this crooked and broken creation, which uh, kind of pushes us forward into Paul's argument, right? Uh, that 
and Daniel kind of speaks this way too. It's interesting that you're going to Daniel uh, <laughs> when you finish First Corinthians. I don't know if you did that on purpose, but well done. Um, uh, well, since you said well done, then I'll say yes, it was very much on purpose. <laughs> right? Uh, it had um, nothing to do with the fact that my predecessor has just recently covered Second uh, Corinthians. Ah, uh, true. Um, <laughs> so, in 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 Daniel's take, right? Those who impart wisdom. Those who uh, are, are those speaking this word of God that brings faith, as Paul talks about in Romans ten seventeen, um, they will shine like the stars of the firmament. And those who lead many to righteousness, that is, will shine like the stars forever, is what Daniel says. Uh, so hat tip to where you're going. Uh, and so then it gives us an understanding of why Paul starts talking about these heavenly bodies, like the sun and the moon and the stars and all their varied glories. Oh, there's another one of those big buzzwords, glories, right? Uh, so, so the God who can confer such a variety of, of glories, of physical forms within his creation cannot be limited by the very narrow human conceptions of what our 3.2 pound brain can dig up. He can do far more abundantly than what we are able to even conceive, let alone ask. So in a way, Paul just spent a whole host of verses saying, you're asking the wrong question, guys. Right, absolutely. <laughs> right? It's not, how can God do that? It's not, well, what are we going to look like? It's not, you know, am I still going to have organs that don't work right? Wrong question, right? The, the question is, can we trust that God will do what he said he would do? And the answer is, all of creation points to the answer being yes. So let's look at what he's given us. Let's trust his promises. And in Christ, which, which we're coming up to, or well, you read right here, right? In Christ, we have the ultimate evidence that he will do it. Right. And that takes us into like 42 and following. Now, when we normally hear this verse, or I should say, when we most often hear this verse, it is in the context of a funeral, a very popular funeral text, 1 Corinthians 15, 42, and so on. Yeah. So it is with the resurrection. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable, sown in dishonor, raised in glory. And it has this beautiful imagery, and as you've put forth, this imagery is to connect us to earthly, simple things we can understand. You can look out in your garden, and you can understand that the seed that you plant comes up as something new. You know, so quit thinking in terms of, you know, what kind of body will we have, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, Paul was dealing with the Corinthians in that way. As I read a little bit of Luther, he's dealing with the people in his time and uh, in the same way. People Very are always much. curious. Yeah. You know, if I have so many wives or if I, you know, have a, will, will our emperors and kings still be in charge of things and yeah. all kinds of curious questions. But when we do it, when we point to that, and I, I try to do something similar in every funeral, whether that body is, has been cremated or whether it's in the uh, casket. At some point, I point to that body and I remind people that that very body, regardless of its state, will be resurrected, will be renewed, will be glorified. 
uh, you know, that that word about the glory that we receive, like the stars of heaven, even. So, what do people think, though? I wonder when I say that. I feel like I'm being clear because I have in my toolbox all of this information that you just described. But I can see where people would be confused. The idea that, well, if we cremate someone, then it's dust. Or if we if we bury someone and it's 10,000 years later or 1,000 years later, it's become dust, you know, on its own. And so, you know, so, what will God restore? And it's, I don't think it's questioning the power of God to restore a, a, a decomposed body, but I think it's more just about having to get our mind around that which is spiritual. And as you put, it's, it's sort of asking the wrong questions. It's really about, you know, our where our future is because of the faith that we've been given in Christ. Um, Luther did answer this. He says, man will retain only what pertains to his essence, but nothing will remain that relates to this transitory life. And yet it'll be the same body and soul with all the members that man has here. But he has to leave behind all that he required in this world. Husband, wife, child, house, home, masters, manservants, maidservants, meat and drink, clothing, etc. He says, God will approach us and say, stop eating, stop drinking, stop digesting, lie down and decompose so that you may acquire a new, more beautiful form, just as the grain does when it sprouts anew from the soil. So Luther has a way with words kind of like St. Paul. I can really picture God coming up and saying, you really just need to drop dead because... (laughs) From that, I might have paraphrased that, but from that death comes what's next, what comes glory. And yeah. isn't that how God has always operated with us? He kills and makes alive. He Absolutely. drowns us and restores us with new faith and recreates us. Absolutely. We've already experienced the first death. Yeah. And then if you follow Luther a little further on, he gets a little, he gets a little imaginative and fun with this one, right? Uh, yes. So he, he actually says, um, and, and I'm quoting here, uh, we will be so strong that with one finger, we'll be able to carry this church with one toe. We'll be able to move a tower and play with a mountain as children play with a ball. And in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be able to leap the clouds or traverse a hundred miles. And I can't help but think this is every Marvel superhero ever imagined. <laughs> Absolutely. And, Luther, and, it, and it all came from Luther's mind. See, even Stan Lee's got nothing That's on right. Luther. Yeah. Now, the that, Avengers resurrection. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Resurrection <laughs> after the last battle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did, did we just get C.S. Lewis in there too? Oh, wow. Um, so, <laughs> the, so in forty in like forty two and following, right? Forty two, kind of getting down toward forty nine. Uh, Luther or not Luther? Paul. Wow. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, he he just lays out these four sentences of comparison. Comparing Adam and Christ. Oh no, that's that's following. I got ahead of myself. Uh, com- comparing uh, what is sown and what is raised, right? What is sown and what is raised, and and, and ultimately it comes to this. You can read forty-two to forty-four as many times as you want, and Scripture in this is not going to satisfy all of your curiosities about the resurrection. Right. It's just not. Because that's not why it was written. Right? It tells us a lot about the Bible in general. 
You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's not to satisfy all our curiosities, but rather to give us that information that we need to bestow faith. It's God's tool through which he you know, gives us faith. I tell you what, brother, we're up against a break. So let's pause for just a few moments and listen to these messages. Dear listener, don't go anywhere. In just a few moments, when we return, Pastor Shockman and I will continue our discussion of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's going to be verses 50 through the rest of the chapter, verse 58, mystery and victory. So stay tuned for that. We'll see you on the other side. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Philbu. With me today is the Reverend Jason Schockman, pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. All right, Pastor, before the break, we were just getting into all these beautiful imagery that, that Paul is using to connect his people and us to the, the resurrection in ways that we can understand. And there are just a few more verses left in our text. But before we jump into that, um, you foolish person, you know, during the break off the air, we were talking about how, you know, the resurrection is something that is difficult for people to understand. He calls these people foolish persons. I think it's actually softened a little bit in the text from the Greek. It's it's almost like when Jesus says, you fools. In fact, I think it's exactly those words. It is. But, but they soften it a little bit to say they're just foolish ideas. But it is kind of foolish. And then he uses these illustrations that you've been so eloquently explaining um, to talk about what he says next. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Of course, that's that's kind of a, a hidden statement in itself. What does that mean? So he used this verb, this verb made alive. And we translate come to life as though the thing that died had some effort in it. And it's totally passive, right? Uh, it is to be made alive. This, this, and this idea of being made alive is connected so strongly to salvation and to uh, eternity because it points both to being made alive in the resurrection on the last day and to being made alive by the Spirit of God here and now. And it is the unique power of God all of creation to make alive, right? Which when he started, when Paul started laying out, you know, this uh, creation in reverse, uh, mm -hmm. he started there that it is God who uniquely makes alive, right? Uh, and then we kind of jumped past 44 to 49, where Paul makes these comparisons between the first man and the second Adam being the oh, right. final Adam. Right, the one from the dust and the one from heaven. And if we are in him who is the one from heaven, then we 
just as we have been born of the image of the man of dust, we will be born or we will bear the image of the son of man, which takes us into verse 50, which is where you wanted to go. Well, excellent. Yeah. Now I'm going to get these verses on the table, but it doesn't keep us from going back either. Uh, Verses 50 through 58, another popular funeral text, but it makes sense because we're talking about the resurrection. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, for all intents and purposes, that's the end of this letter. I know there's one more chapter, and we're going to talk about it tomorrow. And even though there's a lot to learn from it, it's kind of housekeeping. So this is the last major thought that he's leaving the Corinthians on. And yeah, this mystery of, once again, how the body uh, and uh, becomes imperishable, how resurrection itself defeats death or is a symbol of Christ defeating death. But yeah, let's, let's look into that. Sure. (laughs) Cause it's such a simple thing. (laughs) Oh, I want to highlight that word mystery for a minute. Um, Things, things that are truly a mystery, even, even when they're explained are still mysterious. Right. Uh, The sacramental union of Christ's body and blood in with and under bread and wine in the Lord's supper. That's a mystery. Right? We, we can say what God says about it, but we can't explain how, right? Uh, the word and promise of God being combined with the washing of the water and the word. I, I can do, I, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've baptized someone and I know what God is doing because what God has promised, but it's a mystery to me how he actually does what he does because it's a mystery, right? So we can talk about these things that, that are a mystery. We can, we can dig into trying to understand, uh, what kind of body we're going to have in the resurrection. We can, we can try to go with Paul down this road of, of, uh, of, of, of answering the questions, right. Of how, how does all this work? But it's still a mystery. Well, if I can interject about mystery, you know, what you're saying is absolutely true. And it, it brings to my mind whenever I'm teaching confirmation and we get to, and this is usually pretty early on in the process, we talk about the Trinity and anyone who's taught or learned about the Trinity 
probably can reproduce or at least remember a little bit that image of the chart that we draw on the wall, you know, or the, probably not the wall, perhaps the whiteboard. Uh, in the middle is God. And then we put at the top Father, and then in each corner of the triangle, Son and Holy Spirit. And each are God. So we draw the little lines to God saying that they, they are God, or in this case, you know, each is God. And then lines to each other that says is not. So the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit, but they all are the one God. And so I always do that. I write it down. I have the kids draw it. I turn around and then I go, okay, does everybody understand the Trinity? <laughs> Which, of course, is a trick question, despite them sometimes going, oh, yeah, we get it now. Yeah, no, you don't. Yeah. No, Trinity. if you do, then explain it to me. Yeah, it's a Trinity and unity and a unity and Trinity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. Yeah, we only have like an extremely long creed to basically say the same thing over and over and over again, which right. illustrates that while we believe it, we don't understand it. And, 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 and who wants who wants a God they can get in their head? And what kind of God would that be? What kind of mystery would the sacraments be if we completely understood how God did them? He's outside our understanding. Yeah. Amen. And so it is with the resurrection. And, and so it is with the resurrection. And so it is with the resurrected life that we inherit. Right. Twice, twice in verse 50, Paul uses the word inherit. Now, I, I've said this to my people for years. Uh, when God repeats himself, we do well to listen. Yeah. Right. So here, twice, Paul states the believer's place in the kingdom of God. Your place in the resurrected life in eternity is an inheritance. You receive it as purely gift. Just as you receive the blood of Christ in his New Testament as a gift. which is inherently connected to inheriting the resurrection that Paul talks about in 50 to 58. He, he even exclaims in 51, behold, <laughs> like, look at this. I'm going to tell you a mystery. And the mystery is we're all going to be changed. And here, here Paul has made a switch. He's not talking about you. He's talking about we. We all will be changed. Whether we're, whether we're dead for a thousand years, whether we're uh, cremated into ash, whether we are alive when Christ returns. One, two, three. That never works. <laughs> he never comes when I count it down. Um, you know, whether regardless of the state that we are in when Christ returns, we will all be changed. We will all be made into what we are res in resurrection going to be. Uh, John says, we will see him for we will be like him as he is. We will see him face to face for we will be as he is. Right? And so you think about that resurrected body of Christ. He still bore it, the scars. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right? He still ate, but did he need to? Or did he just eat to prove that he was actually flesh and blood? We don't know. Uh, he walked through locked doors. Did he do that because he was resurrected or did he do that because he was God? Right. <laughs> Again, we don't know. Uh, but what we know is just like all of creation reveals, 
What is sown perishable is raised different. So this body, as you so rightly point out, Pastor Boo, this body in a casket, in an urn, this body is meant for resurrection. This body somehow no longer perishable. This body somehow no longer mortal. And that, that is a mystery. I don't know how that's going to happen. But if God can do all this creating, then he can certainly do this wee bit of resurrecting, right? Um, and, and, and note, again, we will all be changed. It's a passive. It happens to us. It's God as the agent who makes it a reality. Uh, you might even say that we'll be made into totally other right? It will be changed. That's a, that's a nice way to translate Paul saying, we're going to be made into something other, but he never defines what other is. <laughs> right. Well, and, and there's no evidence that that's been revealed to him. Right. Which is, so if Paul's telling us a mystery, who, who knows whether Paul's actually seen it? He's just seen this is the promise. Right? And, and how does it happen? How does this transformation take place? Is it, is it gradual over time where we're evolving into this, uh, into this perfect humanoid that we're supposed to be? No. It is in, uh, some translations will tell you, in a twinkling of an eye. Uh, some will say in a moment. Uh, literally, this is the idea, folks, that it's such a short amount of time that you cannot divide it. It can't be broken into smaller parts. It happens instantaneously. Now, a couple of things that people often bring up whenever we start talking about the resurrection and the life to come um, are not just what will happen to our bodies or what our bodies will become, but then what about the interim state? What about... What happens to our bodies while we wait for that resurrection? Um, and and then I, I you know we have this topic of soul sleep, and I'm sure you've heard of that idea too. This idea that well, you know, our souls will instantly wake up at the as soon as you die, you instantly re-wake up at the end of time because you've been sleeping unaware, and now it's the it's the resurrection. And that soul sleep idea is not as pervasive in the Lutheran tradition, but it is in many others. But there's still lots of different opinions on kind of what's happening in this in this interim while we're waiting for the resurrection. Would you like to comment on that? Well, some church bodies have entire doctrines built around that, right? About the interim state and what happens in between death and resurrection. Right. And and the truth is, we know precious little precious little about what happens between death and resurrection, right? We know uh, it is, it is gain, right? To be with the Lord. We know that it is, as Paul tells us, it is far better to depart and be with Christ. In what way? <laughs> he doesn't tell us, and, and nor do we necessarily know that he knows. Uh, but, 
but we know it's better, right? If we go Old Testament on this one, we can say that uh, the, the, the souls of the departed faithful are taken by the Lord. Uh, if we want to go revelation with this one, we can say that uh, the, those that have come out of the great tribulation have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And they're gathered around the throne and night and day they serve in his temple. Now, is that, is that just an allusion to the intermediate state or is that more of an allusion to life eternal? And, and I'm going to say that's more of an allusion to life eternal. We do, however, get this one moment in, in Revelation where it talks about the souls gathered around the throne crying out, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? So the way I talk about it is this. Um, between death and resurrection, it's like a little kid on Christmas Eve. He is anticipating the joy of the unwrapping. All eager, but totally at peace. Now, every analogy breaks down somewhere, right? We've said that before. So let's not right. hear in that analogy the idea of the soul sleeping and then suddenly coming to, to, to alertness when Christ returns. I, I, don't, I don't find that in Scripture, right? So that's hard for me to defend. But, but this idea that those who have gone before us are in the presence of the Lord, they are at home with the Lord. They are at peace with Christ. And yet they are somehow aware that there's more. There must be more because they don't have a body. And, and, and honestly, right, the very separation of body and soul, that's an assault on our created humanity. Right. We're not, we're not created to be a body without a soul, nor are we created to be a soul without a body. And this is part of what Paul lays out uh, at, at, in 40, what is it? 45 to 49, right? The, the man of dust came first and there's an order to this. The man of dust came first, the spiritual man came second. Uh, you could see here in creation, God forms Adam out of the dust and then breathes his spirit or his breath of life into him. And then, then the man becomes a living being. We are meant to be body and soul, dust and spirit joined together. And that, that is the beauty of the resurrection promise. That what we were created to be, what we were meant to be from the very beginning is what we will be in the fulfillment of all things. How? That's a mystery. One of the things that I like about uh, Paul's description here is verse 56 in particular, when he says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, not just poetic, but a recognition that death is always bad, that death is the wages of sin, that sin and death are you know intrinsically linked. And I think that's really important because, and I'm sure you are familiar with uh, 
Professor Jeff Gibbs article, famous article, five things not to say at funerals. Indeed. Yes. So the fifth thing, for those of you who have never heard of this, it is worth Googling. It's out there in the ether. But the fifth thing says, uh, one thing you should not say is that this is not a funeral. It's Craig's victory celebration or a celebration of life or a celebration of, you know, and celebrations can be the right word for Christians in terms of our recognition that there's more to life than this life and that there is more waiting for Christians you know, beyond this life. But if it's celebration in terms of, well, we're going to ignore the death aspect and we're not going to think about what happens next. And Craig, just to use the name Gibbs used, is up in heaven and he's just, that's where he's going to be forever. Well done, good and faithful servant. Here's your crown, everything. Then we ignore the fact that the person lying in the casket or sitting in the urn is there because they were a sinner and that death is terrible. (laughs) And Um, The law only exists because of our fallen humanity that cannot keep God's will. And that what waits for us is a restored creation before we fell into sin. What waits for us is the victory that, again, very passive, as you pointed out several times, given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's what's so beautiful is to recognize in true Lutheran fashion the full severity of the law in the fact that we die and the full sweetness of the gospel in that we receive uh, salvation through Jesus, a restoration. Which is why Paul erupts, right? In verse 57, just erupts with this doxology, with this thanks be to God who gives us this victory, right? There's, there's no getting around the wages of sin. And, and I want to go back to what you said. Um, we have <laughs> we have bought hook, line, and sinker the idea that death is a natural part of life, and I'm not so certain that that's well spoken. I think death is the natural consequence mm-hmm. of life in a sinful world. But life, the life that God created, the life that God has called us to in this life, and the life that he has promised us, is void of death. Right? The life he created in the garden before the fall into sin was void of death. There was no such thing. Well, to say that death is a natural part of life is to suggest that our life before death came into the world was not life at all, or the life that God has waiting for us in the new heaven and the new earth is not life at all. Nor is so it I understand natural. what you're saying yeah. exactly, and that makes yeah. sense. It's, a, it's not a, a Christian way of thinking. Right. It's, it is the, and death is the antithesis. It is the opposite of the natural life that God created and has promised to restore. Right. And that, to me, that's beautiful. Um, you know, it, it was slight divergence here. Uh, it wasn't long ago that, um, that we, we buried my father. Uh, and the thing that I remember from, or one of the things I remember from the funeral was uh, placing my hand on his casket and thinking and even saying out loud, home, at home with the Lord. 
away from the body for now. Right? Home. What is that home that we're promised? What is that home that Paul is pointing to in 1 Corinthians 15? Well, it's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? <laughs> and it can't, we, we can't answer all the questions that our, again, little limited three pound two or 3.2 pound human brain is going to come up with. But what we can do is rejoice in the certainty of the victory that is ours in Christ. And, and that allows us, as we get to 58, right? That allows us to be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. And dear listener, even if that work for you is, is long past, and, and for you faithful labor seems to be something that's not possible, let me remind you that it is the will of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And your continued believing as the Spirit calls you by the Word, as He enlightens you with His gifts and sanctifies and keeps you in this faith, you are doing the work of the Lord. And in faith you can know then that your labor is not in vain. So pray for your pastor. Pray for your church. Pray for your children. Pray that the Lord keep you in this steadfast hope of the resurrection promise, which cannot, cannot put you to shame. For Christ is risen, and he is risen indeed. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Jason Schockman, pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Thank you, pastor, for being on the show again. Anytime. And thank you too, dear listener, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Listen again tomorrow as we finish up 1 Corinthians with chapter 16. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in Thy Strong Word.